0: Hallelujah. So, Father, let's pray together. We worship you. We glorify you for everyone that is here and everyone that's out there. We love them so much. We really do, Father. They're all your family, and we thank you for family. And we appreciate everything that you've given us in this life. And family is one of them, spiritual family, which is as close as our physical family and even closer at times. We love you. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you, Holy Ghost. direction and guidance in jesus name amen we're back on toughen up buttercup (laughs) for the second time in a row and maybe be there sunday as well but uh let me review lesson one which was from sunday you know what's the whole thing here pastor well really just to continue to teach you to get tough in the spirit and, you know, Paul said, I don't have this in my notes, but, you know, Paul said this to Timothy in Second Timothy, he said, endure hardness as a good soldier. Now, you're going to come to some things in this life and days ahead where there's no other way around it but just to endure it and endure it with a hardness or endure hardness as a good soldier. And you don't take that har- you don't take that time as in just enduring to suffer it but you go through it in the power and the authority of Christ speaking the word speaking the wisdom speaking the understanding of the Lord in the presence of God and you're always maturing always going forward and your candle is always shining and you're always having an influence I want to come to the place as a good minister of the gospel is that I have presented you blameless before the Lord and myself blameless and that you go to a church that when things in the days ahead that very possibly could be falling apart all around you and you're like people are like I I I'm about to I can't believe I I can't take this anymore I'm I'm falling apart I'm going to have a nervous breakdown I I don't know what you'll be like and what is the cause of all this why why are you upset I mean you know just the world's falling apart not not us and so we want to talk about that tonight. We want to talk about uh, continuing to toughen up. We're going to give some direction to where we're going in just a moment. But let's talk just for a moment about some of the thing, an example that we used um, Sunday morning. And it was mainly the example of Paul and how how really tough in the spirit. You could say tough. Well, I'm talking about he developed a disposition to be able to walk in. Um, The grace of god and that grace i'm talking about is the his strength which was sufficient for everything and so uh, paul was and is a hero of mine and is a hero of many of ours uh, of us but we talked about paul being stoned at lystra and how that in lystra he was stoned because the jews from another city came over and they stirred at the people, and they got them real real angry. Just prior to his stoning at Lystra, he was pronounced as a god at Lystra because he had healed or had been part of the healing process of the Lord in healing a man that was crippled. And they thought he was uh, Mercury's and that Barnabas was Jupiter, and they started to do sacrifice, and Paul said, no, don't do that. And so they 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 stopped doing that and then just days later they, they tried to kill him and maybe they did I don't know if God raised him up or if he just was in some kind of he uh, was just unconscious I don't know we don't know that but we do know this that he was stoned at Lystra and he was drugged. Uh, King James I believe says drew him the Amplified says they drug him they drug him out of the city after he was stoned. So they thought he was dead. And uh, I, I'm amazed as I think about that, as I meditate that, as I uh, do any parabola on that, I think about how that Paul being drugged out of town on his, on his back, feet first, then his head was hitting the ground, uh, just unmerciful group. And they thought they had killed him. And they thought because he evidently wasn't moaning, groaning, sighing or whatever. But they took him out of town, however far that was, left him for dead. The disciples then kind of probably merged out of the crowd because what was done was done. And then they stood around him and they stood around him, of course, to pray. And as they did, Paul revived. And the amazing part that we found is that Paul went right back into the town not too far in the distant future when he was making his circuit and preaching the gospel he went back into Lystra again just to continue to preach the word in other words death or uh, them trying to kill him did not change his objective he stayed the course and that's a toughness that's an absolute toughness in the spirit you can't psychologically go through all of everything necessary to you know we've we've got a we have marines and we have navy seals and we have different special ops one of my best friends in high school that i went to the church with and i'd go over to his house on sunday uh, was a a man his first name was luke i won't say his second name for confidentiality luke now is a pilot for american airlines but we were good buddies Um, same size same height he he was a little smaller weight wise but um, he went into um, the Navy and became a Navy SEAL he was just tough I mean he wasn't huge guy but he was just tough as nails you did not want to mess with Luke and became a Navy SEAL and was part of the invasion of Grenada he was one of the few men that went in and uh, rescued some students that we had down there years ago and he he had to do some really some stuff down there and uh so those navy seals if you ever talk to him and i didn't get a chance to get in i mean i knew some of the stuff about him and and later we met in life and i was able to go pray for his mom and and I, i hope he's doing well but he he loved the lord when we were growing up He was a good christian guy but um he would hurt you if he had to for the you know because he was a navy seal and he did have to do to that for for rescuing some of our people but those people uh at least then under that administration uh I won't tell you some of the stuff that they do to toughen up the mentality of those men and the the stuff they put them through mentally in their training just to see their objective is to to break them they don't want the they do not want the class to they don't want this whoever they start with they don't want that bunch to to finish that's not their objective they want to see how many they can get out of there how many they can wean that does it's not just a physical toughness it's a mental toughness can you can you endure uh the mental toughness that they put you under Well, the things of God are different, but they're kind of the same in the sense of the word. It's not a mental toughness that you have to develop, and he's not after how many push-ups you can do or how hard you are physically. But you have to come to a place, if you're going to be a good soldier, that you're able to endure hardness. And so we have this incredible example. But Paul not only said, Paul said this, and I'll read this for you, but I had you turn there. Sunday but this is in Acts 14:21 and 22 and it says this Paul was you know giving an exhortation and teaching these guys and about to leave Lystra and he says when they had preached the gospel to the city and had taught many they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch confirming the souls of the disciples in other words they were really trying to continue to grow them up in Christ and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that they must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God so Paul taught them from the very beginning the class that Paul taught was toughen up buttercup from the very beginning God's a gracious God loving God he wants people born again but you've got to understand something that you're not coming into the kingdom well invited by the world and well invited by the religion of the day one of the things that the church lost is that they lost and and one of the reasons why we lost power and i explained this was we lost it because of uh unsound doctrine we understand that that was the primary reason and the other reason was one of the other reasons uh was that we stopped being persecuted and it's persecution in and of itself doesn't equivocate or equal power but it says this we will persecute you because we hate you jesus said they hated me first they're going to hate you also and the reason why they hate me is because i'm not of this world neither are you of this world so the hatred was that there was a division a difference and because they hated they would persecute well what was the difference the difference was that we were sons and daughters of God we lived a righteous life and the indicators mark 16 These signs shall follow them that believe the indicators were these are my people these are my chosen people they walk in righteousness they walk in holiness and uh, they they walk in sound doctrine and so when they pray for somebody I'm going to heal them. I'm going to heal them first because my son paid the price. And then when they have faith, I'll follow up and I'll prove who they are and that my son um, is who he says they are um, by following up with power. But the church lost persecution because we weren't different and Uh, or lost power through not having persecution because we weren't different. But um, tonight we're going to talk about the church, revival, and America in the uh, toughening up process. So let's do that for just a little bit. Um, Let's go to a very familiar portion of Scripture, and it's just one verse, but we heard it quoted a million times in uh, 2020. Let's go to 2 Chronicles verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 14. I'll give you time to get there because I want you to see it in your Bible. And hallelujah. Chapter 7. I've got it in my notes, but I'll turn there so I can be courteous with you, give you time to get there. This, this verse of Scripture was quoted, I heard it, by, well, I'm going to exaggerate a million Christians in believing for uh, certain results to take place in the 2020 election, which we did not see. And I heard it on, you know, different uh, ministry outlets, and heard people using this. And 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 maybe I maybe I said it. I don't know, but. This is the verse, and it comes from the time when uh, Solomon dedicates the temple. This is the setting. Solomon dedicates the temple. God comes down. God speaks to Solomon, and he says a lot of wonderful things to him about the temple and about who he is and what he will do for his people in the days ahead. But look at verse 14, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land so we heard this over and over time again uh, you know the it was and it's good i'm not saying it wasn't um but it was quoted without it was quoted more times, I believe, much, many more times than not, undiscerning, totally undiscerning of what it really meant and, the, and, and what the conditions were. I'll, I'll tell you right to start with, you know this, and it's not hard to understand. This is a very, 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 very conditional promise. It's a very conditional promise. In fact, the first word is the most power. The first word in the promise is the most powerful word of the promise. It's the word "if," which is if. It's all predicated on the if. None of the rest of it matters or will come to pass. He said, "If, if, if my people, which are called by name, my name, shall number one humble themselves." if they will pray if they will seek my face and if they will turn from their wicked ways then if those ifs are done i will hear from heaven and i will forgive their sin and heal their land well (laughs) needless to say that was quoted as if it was a coverall you know like let's quote this and uh But none of those conditions were really thoroughly being carried out. The strongest word, as I said, in that whole promise was the very first one, the word if. And this is a very conditional promise. In regards to America, let me say this. In regards to America, we're still living in the land of if. We really are. Some people may be prophesying, oh, it's done, we're going to return to our original glory and the foundations are going to be raised up but I'm telling you we are still in a if an absolute if (laughs) how can it be an absolute sounds like an oxymoron doesn't it an absolute if (laughs) listen your salvation promises to you personally are absolute but the jury is still out on whether or not America will revive or come under greater chaos and judgment it's still out don't tell me it's not oh no no it's settled in heaven no 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 it's not not that part neither one are an absolute at this point neither America coming to a reviving of its greatness or America being completely destitute and destroyed Uh, and I'm going to quote this as if you're saying it to me but none of you i'm going to say it's somebody else but pastor you speak so absolute about revival yes and i will remind you that revival works and took place in the worst of times it is not revival is not predicated on the national condition of any society in other words revival doesn't have to fit in with the foundations of america being restored it can work in the best or worst of times that's the greatest thing about revival it can work under horrible conditions or it can work under good conditions i now personally i'd love to find that the jury comes back and says we find that we will proceed as the church well are you going to do the ifs and are you presently doing the ifs ifs Um, and I, and I thank God really, I, I thank God that the church was, when I read the book of Acts, I'm really thankful that when the Holy spirit comes and says, you're, we're going to have a revival, we have it confirmed first by the word of God. I'm seeing more and more scriptures that tell that there will be an end time revival. And we've used many of those scriptures and we'll maybe use a couple of them tonight also there have been present day speakings that just continue to say this is coming this is here we're in the you know the beginning stages of it um i do believe that it is god's absolute perfect will for america to regain its foundation i do believe that i i I absolutely believe Um, but i believe it's god's as i said i'm thankful that the church was birthed under absolute uh c- persecution that way there is no excuse i mean they were being persecuted they were being persecuted from two different directions one they were coming out christianity was being birthed out of judaism so religion their own religion was persecuting them then they used the state they used the roman empire so satan was coming at uh, then if the church didn't get you Um, state would or vice versa you know paul was originally arrested by the church not the uh, not the christian church but the the old testament church which was the scribes pharisees and the religious leaders of the day but he was he was actually executed by the imperial government at the time which would be the government of rome so extreme persecution and uh, Paul, when he was hauling all of those people back into prison, uh, that was being done by the church. Now the church had, I guess the church, when I say the church, I should, I should change that because that might confuse some people. It wasn't the church of Jesus Christ, uh, you know, his church, but it was the, the Old Testament, what had come under the law, the scribes, the Pharisees the religion of the day judaism as it was and so that was the persecution that was bringing you know under paul had jurisdiction he took search warrants he had arrest warrants to go to damascus and arrest whoever he wanted if he found them in he said in the way and uh so he got to bring them back and he said some of them uh, you know, by his own testimony later when he stood before kings, some of them were put in prison and some put to death. Now, they weren't put to death by the Roman government. They were put to death by the religious leaders in Jerusalem. But then later Paul himself dies from the Roman government. So it was a hard time. So there, but there was miracles. There was an explosion of people being born again. There was peter 's shadow healing people, Paul raising people from the dead uh, you know it was it was revival as we know it, so um, that was happening in the midst of no no freedom i mean you you couldn 't there was no freedom, no freedom whatsoever. so can revival take place without the foundations of America being raised up? Absolutely so. I hope they happen simultaneously. I hope the revival helps spur and bring into fruition men that will continue to stand up but i'm telling you our continual focus has to be on the spiritual side of it and then out of the spirit do what we need to do in the natural and we'll continue to talk about that in just a moment will america as i have said before america is presently in partial judgment because of america's choices in 2020 the um and I, I, again, I read that prophecy Sunday from Pastor Jim. It was from the Lord and judgment that had, you know, it started in America already. And again, the Lord said in that is that um, it was when all of this began to be released, the primary reason was the church would not stand up and be the church and they allowed all of this to come in. And so this judgment that is pr- presently on and I say a partial judgment because it's not it's not the book of revelation judgment. That's really that's really out there and that will be for a, a time to come. But there is we're still living in a time where God wants us to believe for a present tense harvest and a revival. uh and and also believe i believe everything with everything within me that if god gets his perfect way um that much of america's foundation will be restored which is is wonderful but there america is in a partial judgment and what do you mean by that well all of the chaos that we see is the judgment of god pulling back and saying i no i you you dismissed me i'm legally dismissed i've been asked to sit down over there and we want to run things and if i'm dismissed i can't stop that so let that be a judgment to you that when you cry out for help you understand that my voidness my vacancy the i'm not there and my not being there is should be a message to you that all these things are taking place apart from my will, and I can't stop it. And I won't stop it because I won't transgress my own self. I won't transgress righteousness. Over the last two years, and I'm just going to read much of this out of my notes, which I believe were inspired by the Lord. After the, after the last two years of partial judgment, I have not heard... This is what really, really bothers me. It really bothers me. I have not heard of mega churches uh, going after revival or seeking after revival or things beginning to change in the massive mega churches or embracing the foundation of the Word with repentance and denouncing the woke agenda of the left regarding america have not it if it if it's happened i've heard revival talk a lot from different places but and i'm not i'm not on facebook i'm not in social media but if god wants to get a word over to you he'll get it over to you somehow somehow somebody else said did you hear about so-and-so and And did you hear about so-and-so or did you hear about i haven't heard about any so-and-so's and (laughs) And i'm not calling them (laughs) so-and-so's that have begun to teach their people with power i'm talking about uh, groups of thousands and thousands and tens of thousands in attendance at church where they would begin to teach their churches and respond to the call of revival and harvest and repentance and going back into god in a very powerful way so that that bothers me what does it bother you because we've had a couple of years since 2020 where there has been a god-sent partial um chastisement if you want to say it that way a judgment to say look how do you think it's going to be if i can if i have to take my hand completely off would you like that well you would think that american christians would get an idea and say wait a minute what brought us to this point well we weren't praying we weren't preaching righteousness we weren't preaching the word and that you'd begin to hear that from the groundswell of some of these major ministries but as of yet i have not heard that now i will say this i believe that i believe uh that the caucus and when you say caucus i'm talking about a quota Caucus, quota, however you want to put it. There's always been, from the beginning, quotas necessary or caucuses necessary for God to be able to move in, in the authority to get something done. We are God's authority in the earth. In the old, it was, uh, you know, there's so many different examples, but Abraham almost stopping the destruction of sodom and gomorrah he whittled god down to 10 i don't know if he'd had the the brass to ask any more of what god would have said but he thought i'll just leave off on 10 if there's just 10 people would that make a quorum with or would that would that make a would would that be enough gideon's group Save the whole nation by just a bit. And then just whittle down, whittle down, whittle down. Listen, you don't have to have all of the church that confesses to be Christians praying and seeking God to have a revival, but you do have to have a uh a level, a caucus, and I believe, I really believe that God has already received that. I believe there's enough across our nation to begin to turn the tide. For revival, and I believe that we're in the edgewaters of it now. I believe the caucus of authority necessary for the reviving of the foundation of America, although, is still in the balance. That's different. Why is it different? Well, a number of different things. There's voting involved, there's different things involved, there's different academics that are not involved that are involved in the free release when spiritual people are praying now listen to this please and i i i I know these things are from the lord so i want you to listen if the church remains silent and asleep in november 2020 which is right around the corner if the church remains silent and asleep i could say almost next month it's almost october now in 2022 And in November 2024, America will suffer the same defeats that it suffered in 2020. Well, I know it's going to No, you don't know. You don't know. Do not be lulled to sleep. We must fight in prayer and with our votes. We must fight in prayer like our house is on fire and we're trying to save our children do you understand that both now and over the next two years if now I'm talking about America we have to continue to say diligent concerning revival but none of this is a give me none of it the Lord even said through one of our prophecies that revival can be retained it can be aborted it can be aborted at least for a great great season If the woke agenda pastors continue to be silent and not speak against the evil in our nation and will not speak up because they are scared of the accusation of the word, here it comes, here it comes, don't run, don't run, here it comes, the word political, then our nation will continue to spiral downward and righteousness will lose in the next two major elections, nothing is certain. It absolutely nothing is certain. Too many pastors continue to apologize all over themselves. They slobber all over themselves trying to safeguard themselves against any accusations of being political. We, the men of God, and the people of God are to preach here's our here's our call we are to preach god's uncompromising truth that's our call I don't wherever that lands you can determine was that statement political oh was that statement i all I know is to preach the uncompromising word of God now wherever that lands i It doesn't matter to me wherever you determine, whatever you define that as. The truth, listen to this: the truth has no bounds to which it applies, whether private, public, or national. Well, that's a good statement. We, the men of God and the and the people of God, are to preach the God's uncompromising truth. The truth has no bounds to which it applies whether private, public, or nationally. You know, whether, oh, that's a crowd. You need to stay, stay in your lane. I don't, this is my lane. This is my lane right here. Preach the uncompromising word of God. That's the lane. The truth, that's the word, does not distinguish. The truth doesn't distinguish or discern the arena of life in which it enters. God does not distinguish His truth from public or private. His truths are the same at all times. The truth is like an antibiotic that is given to stop an infection or inflammation in the foot. But if the head is infected, the same antibiotic will minister healing to the head as well. In other words, an antibiotic, when you take it, even though the doctor prescribed it for some certain part of your body, or an inflammatory, well, I've got my shoulders inflamed. Well, here, take this inflammatory. Oh, but even if you didn't get diagnosed for your foot, if your foot's inflamed, the same medicine will work on your foot. It doesn't distinguish. It just works on every part of your body. That's how the word is. You can't corral it and say, oh, let's stay in our lane here, but let's preach the word, and maybe it won't spill over into the political arena. Truth has no bounds, and it has no distinctions. Truth does not discern where it is sent. It only is promised to not return void. Hallelujah. I think those are some powerful God-given statements. We're in partial judgment for a correction, but will the correction come? I don't know if the correction is going to come by in the church. I have not liked what I've seen over the last two years. There has been people calling. There's still there's millions of Christians calling on the Lord in the right manner, but at the same time now I will say this we don't have to have all of everybody, I said that a minute ago, on board. We don't that's a good thing to say, a good way to say it. but we do have to have a good representation as where as the father considers this is this is these are those that I consider as my children, and they're judging themselves. I'm concerned because uh, I've read now listen. You need to. You need to. Sometime I know we love the New Testament, but you need to read Jeremiah and Ezekiel sometime. I'm just amazed. I'm just, just amazed. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were contemporaries. In other words, they lived at the same time. They both worked through the the bondage of the uh, uh, the the when Nebuchadnezzar came and took them away. Okay. Now the timeline for the northern kingdom which was the ten tribes this is amazing now get this for just a moment let me give you just a little history most of those old testament minor and major prophets most of those are all it's all about that Uh, going into captivity prophesying the captivity the release of the captivity even you know daniel's over there in babylon he doesn't Prophesy or write his book from Israel. Esther's over in, in Babylon. You know, there's some of them that they, they never get back to Israel. But God begins to prophesy by his prophets years and years in advance about the judgment that is coming on Israel and on Judah if they don't stop sinning. But let me tell you how how desperately wicked the heart was prior to salvation. And if you allow it in these days, backslidden Christians that will not follow the Word of God can get in such a place where it's hardly distinguishable where their hearts are at. Although their, though their hearts should be in a place where they're walking with the Lord and being trusted. But for years it was prophesied to the northern kingdom, st- st- stop running after Baal, stop killing your kids, stop giving them to Moloch, stop doing all this, or else judgment is coming. The Assyrians swept in and took them all captive. The Assyrians. A hundred and thirty years Judah, the southern kingdom, lived free, watching their fellow. Israelites swept away by the Assyrians you would have thought that that would have gave them some kind of clue to stop sinning you'd have thought them sweeping away watching them go into captivity so they a hundred nearly a hundred and thirty years and all the while then Jeremiah and Ezekiel are prophesying as well to the house of Judah Saying the same thing's going to happen to you that happened to them if you don't stop, well, they didn't stop. Nebuchadnezzar was the judgment of God against the when you read when you read uh Jeremiah and ezekiel they are they are layered layered judgments that's the goodness of God layered he didn't do it all at one time first he started with the northern kingdom because you remember all those terrible kings they had all those horrible kings uh jezebel and you know ahab and all those and and they were just all wicked all wicked well then israel had some you know asa and jehoshaphat and uh josiah and all those those ones that hezekiah that at times would bring revivals so they got some reprieves but still jeremiah and ezekiel keep telling them you're gonna perish if you don't stop well, they wouldn't stop, and so not the Assyrians now, but the Babylonians. The Babylonians come in there under Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar, three times, he invades them, he plunders them three times. He, he plunders them to start with and takes away Daniel and all that first bunch, and then about ten years later, eight years later, he, he sets up a puppet king, basically, and God keeps telling him there's... And Jeremiah and he's you know Ezekiel he tells him if you'll just settle down in here and just because Nebuchadnezzar is my servant not of righteousness but my servant of judgment if you'll just settle down under him it'll go well with you stop serving these false gods believe that judgment's going to play out Jeremiah had to write him a letter th- th- you know to start with um, to start with and tell him. You're not coming back. This judgment's going to play out. They wouldn't stop sacrificing their kids to idols. They wouldn't stop. So Nebuchadnezzar comes again. Now he gets Jeremiah and takes him over there. He's over there. And he destroys the king that was set up. (laughs) And Jeremiah, you know, and then Ezekiel's trying to, you know, they're all trying to... (laughs) It's amazing. Uh, then Nebuchadnezzar comes the third time. Comes the third time. It, I think it was Ezekiel he takes over. He takes Ezekiel over. Jeremiah remains. Jeremiah actually is there in the third ravishing and exists through that. And what was amazing, that's a long story made short, but amazing after all of the judgment All those waves of judgment, and they were about 10 years apart, and God keeps telling them, repent, settle down, stay right here. Finally, the last time that Nebuchadnezzar comes, to start with, he just took some of the gold and he left, you know, the, like the holies of holies, and he kind of like, I'll give you guys, I'm gonna take a bunch of stuff, but I'll let you kind of have church if you want to. He got so mad after the continuous rebellion that the third wave, he just burnt the whole, he just took everything, burnt everything, tore everything up, left everything in rubbish, not, you know, stones, the the whole city. That's why 70 years later uh, they had to go back and Nehemiah had to rebuild and Ezra the priest had to, it's on on and on and on. But the amazing part, (laughs) when I was reading Jeremiah a month or two ago or a little bit ago, whenever it was, you know they 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 threw him in a cave one or into a cistern one time a well dry well because he preached they put him in jail two or three times the last of all he kept telling him look if you'll just I, they they would draw him in and they would take other prophets and say we want to hear from you and they want to, he said look the lord says if you'll just repent and live under the king that he set over us uh everything will go well with us the last king i think was zedekiah they Nebuchadnezzar finally came in there and just said, you know what, forget you all, burn everything, just burn everything, turn it, destroy it, your stiff neck. After all of that, they would not listen. They actually, the last bunch, it's, it's, it's determined they, we don't have a record in the Word of God, but um, historians tell us that they think Jeremiah actually was martyred in Egypt. Because the last bunch that was left there that escaped all those, those three pillages, uh, they actually took Jeremiah captive and went over into Egypt. And you can read some of that in the Word of God. But even after they got to Egypt, listen, Jeremiah said, look, God's going to come get you here. <laughs> and he did. Nebuchadnezzar went into Egypt and got those guys. He did. But you know what they told Jeremiah even after he told them God's going to come get you here? They said, we don't care what... This is really what they said. We don't care what you say. We're still going to sacrifice to the queen of heaven, to these other gods. Listen, I'm I'm convinced this, that even with all of what God has done in America to withhold himself, there are some preachers, pastors, and churches they're going to ride this thing out and they're not going to take the route of repentance. Go with me to Matthew chapter 24. We got about 15 minutes. I still want to come out of here around 8:30. So I don't think I'm going to get through Matthew 24. We'll probably be back on this Sunday. I'll, I'll remind you of something. Matthew chapter 24, boy, two years ago in February 2020, Dr. Jim Martin, I'm going to call him Dr. Jim Martin on this. He's uh, my buddy and he's all of our friend and he doesn't ever ask to be called doctor, but he did an excellent job on an end-time seminar. He did six lessons. It's on our website. It's uh, uh, guests, It's under guest ministers or guest speakers. And uh, it was done in February of 2020, and he did six lessons on the end times. And uh, much of it was out of Matthew 24, 25, and other scriptures. But he really broke down a lot of different subjects, Antichrist, uh, last days, different things. But one of the things that he said, and I understood this uh, to some degree, but I learned a lot in that, but the way that he broke it down, he said... Uh, and, of course, as you read 24 and 25, it's all one subject. It's just end-time events, 24 and 25. It's all about the, the answer to the question that the disciples ask Christ. When's the end? When's these things going to take place? We'll read that verse in just a moment. Chapter 24 and chapter 25 is Jesus speaking prophetically of what's going to take place. And it's like a there's different scenarios, but all of them are like spokes on a wheel coming to a hub, the hub is the answer. Jesus is answering the end time question and everything that he is answering in this large will of understanding, it all is going back. Every one of these examples or every one of these partial parables are part in answering the question that the disciples ask. And we'll look at verse 1 of chapter 24. And this is where it starts. And I'll say this, in this chapter, um, these, these things, and it's not, this is not exhaustive in this list, you'll find the falling away of the saints is in, his, in this. Jesus addresses false prophets, and he addresses judgment against the clergy, and judgment against the bride, the revival, and eternal judgment. Now, let's look at verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the building of the temple. Somebody might say, well, what does this have to do with toughening up Buttercup? Because here's the end. And if you can't get ready for the end, you're not going to be, if you can't get tough enough for the end, you're not going to be ready. He who endures to the end will find out the same shall be saved. And Jesus said in verse 2, see you not all these things. The disciple says, look at all these buildings. And Jesus refocused their attention. He had just come from a scathing rebuke of the scribes and Pharisees. And they kind of want to get Jesus' attention away, you know, from the moment. And they're asking or they're citing In front of Jesus, showing him the buildings of the temple, saying, Look, look, this beautiful temple. Now, this is not Solomon's uh, original temple, but this was the temple that Herod had refurbished and built. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And that happened in 70 AD. That actually happened, that was fulfilled. The Romans destroyed that temple, and it was completely demolished. That wasn't long after Jesus said that. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So from that point on, now the rest of 24 and 25 is an answer To that question. Jesus answering and said unto them. Take heed that no man deceive you. So we understand that. That's the first one. Don't let anyone deceive you. In these last days. That will be the first telltale sign. Of my coming back. That there will be a lot of deception. That will take place. Now I really wanted to go through this chapter. And go through all of the different spokes that go back to this 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 hub these this will of uh this center part of this question of like when shall when will these things take place and you know every bit of it is good but i want to focus just for a few moments because i can see as far as time goes if we want to have you know get out of here in in a little bit that all these things are uh, you know, revivals in here, the promise of revival, what, where's that at? That's in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come when ye, there, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of the desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whosoever readeth let him understand. Jesus uh, actually, he refers, Jesus refers to Scripture. He, he often did that. He did that in rebuking the devil. But here, prophetically, to answer their question, he's saying, go back and read Daniel. Because when what Daniel prophesied about the desolation, uh, you know, when he says here um, in vi- uh, the, the, deso- the abomination of the desolation, he's referring to something that Daniel talked about. So he's saying, that, get a clue. This is, this is going to take place before the end times. There are so many different things here that we could cite, but I just want to get us over here um, to, the, to the latter part. Jesus goes into how it will be like in days of Noah uh, and how the, those things. So we could go into so much concerning the end time, but concerning where we're at and where the nation is at, I want us to understand how close we are getting to the end as in a relevance to the fight that we're in for the revival first and then for the nation. We really, God has said, um, I I read a prophecy, a present-day speaking prophecy that came out, and I, I, I was one of the ones that approved it. It said, I want, I don't know what the word was verbatim, but it said, I want you to vote. I want my children to vote. It's necessary that they vote. Now, I want to just, as I said, these things are covered. Judgment against clergy, judgment against the bride. That's over in chapter 25. I think Sunday I'll minister some on the ten virgins. We'll talk about that. Because that is uh, one of the biggest end time signs. The ten virgins. We're going to talk about that Sunday. But let's just talk about this for just a moment. One of the signs, one of the signs, because what we're talking about is a loss of authority for God to get certain things done in the earth. Now, as I said before, I believe that there's enough authority that we're hearing the sound and the cry of heaven to say revival is coming, get ready for it. And it's here, we're in the edge waters of it. Is America going to be a part of the revival in the sense that America is renewed? I hope so. I believe it's got a good chance in the sense of faith-filled chance. But will, will people stand up and do what they need to do in these last days, as in the church and pastors and ministers, to stand up and do what they need to do? But Jesus... see. When, when that doesn't happen, the reason why it doesn't happen, like um, in many cases, like what God wanted to happen in 2020 didn't happen. It didn't happen. Well, it didn't happen because at that point in time, much of the church would not stand up and be the church. But like the prophecy that we read Sunday, the reason why the church is in the condition that it's in is because of this, that. What's that? The pulpit. Jesus spoke emphatically concerning the last days and what I believe would be an understanding of why the debilitation or the falling away of the nation is because the authority was lost because the body of Christ would not stand up and be the body of Christ. But where does it drill down to? If you keep drilling this down and say, what's the core? The core, one of the cores was mentioned. Jesus spoke specifically concerning the last days. And he said this. And let's look at chapter 24, verse 45. Jesus is speaking and he says, all, well, let's back up let's ver- go to verse 37 cuz I, I want you to see end time end time end time cuz you're you're f- more familiar with this but as it this is an answer to the question when are you coming when's the end time what what's the last days but as it was as it is as but as the days of noah which is noah were so shall it so shall also the coming of the son of man be for as in the days in that they were before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until they uh until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until uh, until the flood came and took them away so shall also the coming of the son of man be then shall two be in the field the one shall be taken the other left two women shall be grinding at the mill the one shall be taken the other left watch therefore for you know not what hour your lord shall come but know this, that if the good man of the house, listen, if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered or allowed his house to be broken up. So here's another spoke. So he says all that. He says, therefore, be also ready for in such an hour as you think not the son of man cometh. Who then? Okay, here here's some more. Who then? Because all through this chapter he goes then 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 in other words this is another telltale sign of my coming who then is a faithful and wise servant who is who his lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season blessed is that servant whom the lord when he cometh shall find doing Let me read it according to my notes here. I'll start again and read again. You can follow along or just listen. Verse 45, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom the Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. What is he talking about there? Specifically, he's talking about the clergy. Specifically, he's talking about the fivefold. When he says his household over his household, he's talking about his kingdom. 24 is prophetic, letting you know this is what it looks like towards the end. This is what's going to be happening. One of the things that we know that that Jesus said there is going to be a great falling away. That's part of this. The other part here he addresses, he goes into what will much of the clergy, what will much of who then, he says, um, is a wise servant, whom the Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. I'm not your ruler, but I'm ruling over his household. This is his meat, the word of God. I am in these last days supposed to be supplying to you soundness of doctrine and meat so that you can grow thereby and that you can understand where we're going and what the truth is. Blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Well, thank God for whatever reward anybody that preaches the gospel gets. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with the drunken, well, then the Lord goes on to talk about the judgment that will come on them. But let me say some things here because we have to understand the day and hour. This is all part of you toughening up and understanding the gravity of where you're living, what the world that's around you, and the church age that we live in. Jesus specifically said all these things will take place. He goes into every one of these spokes. Noah, like the violence and all this, it's going to be like that. And, and then he says also, What's going to happen is, I want you to understand that in the last days, there's going to be a great judgment that's going to be levied against the the minister, the fivefold they should be over the house of God, they should be over they should be giving meat in due season to my flock, to my people and then he says, and if they begin to smite their fellow servant and eat and drink and be drunken, well. Let me read some notes, and we'll get close to closing here. The smiting, listen close, the smiting is the abuse given by pastors and ministers who are not willing, who will not preach the uncompromising Word of God. They are not physically, they're not physically abusing, they're not smiting, they're not physically abusing them, but they are spiritually abusing them by teaching them false doctrine they are teaching them week after week that it's okay to remain in sin because God's grace covers it all they are teaching them that only part of the Bible that only parts of the Bible are relevant to modern society they are teaching them that there's no difference between the matrimony of a man and woman or the matrimony of same sexes. They are teaching them either, listen, you say, really? Do they really teach all that? Oh, yes, listen. They are teaching them either verbally or they are teaching them having no responses in their messages when the righteousness of the Word of God cries out. Proverbs 120 through 22, wisdom crieth without she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief places of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city, she uttereth her words saying, How long you simple ones will you love simplicity and your scorners delight in their scorning and you fools hate knowledge? Silence, listen to me, silence against issues that are contained in the word of God is a loud voice. Somebody said, I just didn't say something. They they, they said, No, 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 you said something. You just didn't open your mouth. You said everything. They presented, listen, if if it's just, there ain't, if there's not much, you know, I don't just rebuke anything, you know, I I pick my fights. And uh, sometimes ignorance is. You know, you just find a person in ignorance and you just kind of, the Lord says, you know, you can't really help them that much. But they say something privately, maybe you can help them a little bit. A lot of times you'll let people go. But one thing that I can't do anymore, if little ones, and I say little ones, people that grow, they're growing up in the Lord. If you say something in front of them that's absolute heresy, I'm going to just, I'm going to say right then and there. I'm not going to wait. If you say, you might cause, I don't care what I cause. Their well-being is far more worth me keeping quiet. Now I can do it in love. It's probably a good reason why I don't have Facebook. Y'all are more controlled than I am. Now, some things you can just be quiet on. But I've got two or three little ones over there. They're just coming in. They don't know. And then somebody spouts off some kind of... Now, I'm going to say right now, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to be real diplomatic to start with. But if I have to, I'll just say, no, brother, you're wrong according to the Word of God and what you're telling them is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. I'm not going to walk away and say... I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to tell them right on the spot. Because I don't know when I'll ever get back to it. Silence against issues that are contained in the word of God is a loud voice. It's a loud voice of complacency. It's a loud voice of fear. And I'm talking about many of these mega churches. I haven't heard it. It's a loud voice of desiring to please man rather than to please God. It's a loud voice of the fear of persecution. It's a loud voice of your own spiritual condition. What what loud voice? Silence. Not bringing up issues. Not speaking against these things. Well, there that could be determined political. It's the Word of God. I don't care what you define it as. I don't care. Give it any definition you want to. But let the chips fall where they are. Speak the word in truth. It's a loud voice of the love of money. It's a loud voice to remain popular with no evil spoken against you. Jesus said, watch that. Watch it when everybody says, "Oh, oh, they're so wonderful. Oh, they're so wonderful. Oh, they're so wonderful. I don't think anybody disagrees with that person. Oh, God. If you don't have some people disagreeing with you. You're probably in trouble with God. Silence is louder than words. Silence is louder than words. And all this silence is done in the name of peace. Let's keep the peace. It's done in in let's let's stick to let's stick to self uh, or defined church issues. Let's stick to that, which is all an anonymity of a backslidden condition. The smiting, which is a spiritual abuse, goes on every Sunday in front of millions. Of people this is the word of God this is what Jesus said so you want to be a preacher do you oh yeah well guess what we hadn't even gotten to verse 50 and we got to get done the smiting which is the spiritual abuse goes on every Sunday in front of millions of people those who have been chosen to give the Lord's servant servants meat in many cases should be protected against with the same caution that you would protect your children from a predator that has the intent to abuse them. Oh, we just love him. That we come to this church. (laughs) He's killing you. He's helping you go into perdition, to judgment. If he's teaching you, let's stay away from these issues. Let's stay away from that issue. Let's not talk about same-sex marriage. Let's not talk about transgender. Let's not talk about this. Well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about positive things. Let's keep life positive. You know, Jesus was positive. Oh, my God. What Gospels have you been reading? What Gospels? The drunkenness that Jesus speaks of is the is becoming drunk with success, popularity, and the motivation for financial gain. And, and just in case you think these words are... Are much too harsh, which I'm... Well, Pastor, you're just much too harsh. Well, then I would, I would ask you to listen to what Jesus, the judgment Jesus pronounces on these preachers. These are the ones over his household. It's, I, I, don't, I, I can't see where you could debate what he's saying there, that these are men that are ordained. He separates them from everybody in the crowd of 24 and says, blessed are those who are basically ordained to give over the household meat so he's talking about the fivefold that's pretty simple right there but he says this if they become drunken and and smite or abuse how do they abuse well nobody's going to put up with anybody beating anybody up they're abusing through not teaching the word of god not preaching truth not preaching it just exactly like it is then verse 50 says and the lord of that servant or preacher Will come in a day when he looketh not for him, in an hour that he is not aware of. And verse twenty fifty one says, "And shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites." And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is always hell. It's hell. It's the lake of fire. And I'm I am not. I'm like I'm not like goody goody gumdrops. Oh no, God! I don't want nobody to go to hell. But Jesus is saying these preachers that are doing this that are abusing, smiting and abusing my servants that I gave them the authority to teach over and they've become drunken with the world and drunken with success. Listen, what you see in this is that really these men, the reason why they don't, the reason why they don't go to a lot of issues is because they're a reflection of their backslidden self. Now, I don't, I mean... I don't want you to suspect every preacher that's not on this walk, but I'm going to tell you, there is multiple, this is, this is why the church is where it's at, multiple, maybe thousands of preachers who are closet drinkers addicted to pornography. That's why they can't, if you're addicted to pornography, if you're a, uh, uh, if you're a drinker, and all those things, how in the world are you going to stand up here and give a powerful sermon? How are you going to stand up and say, you ain't. You're going to give a milk toast, weak, melancholy, happy, let's all stay happy, this 20-minute sermonette, and you're going to say, let's, let's stay positive in a world that's filled with negativity. Let's stay positive. Mm-hmm. Why can't you preach on hard subjects, Mister? Why can't you go there? Because your conscience won't allow you to go there. Your conscience won't allow you to talk tough. Not mean, but tough. Toughen up, Buttercup. Amen. God bless you. Father, we thank you and we praise you for all your goodness. And we thank you for going forward in the kingdom of God. We don't we know we haven't arrived, but we do thank you, Father. Because we are a generation along with a lot of other brothers and sisters are coming into the fullness of revival. We bless you and we give you all the glory and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.